0: Welcome from all of us at Albuquerque Reformed Church, a particular congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church located in New Mexico. We thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. For more information about Albuquerque Reformed Church or to contribute to its ministry, visit abqreformed.org. And now, we invite you to open your Bible and listen to the preached word. Uh, have you ever wondered what makes Christian gospel so offensive? What makes Christian gospel so offensive to people? If you go to, uh, for example, a place like India, and you say to them that Jesus is God, oh, 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 that's good. Uh, we love Jesus. That's what they're going to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jesus is God and he's savior. Uh, he will save you. Everything is fine with them. Huh. Uh, by and large, most majority of the people, they were, there is no offense in that. But the moment you say that Jesus is the only way, ah. you, you add the word only. Okay. Uh, there is a good chance that somebody may throw stone at you. <laughs> And that's and that's the same thing even uh, at your workplace or college or university, wherever you are. You add the word only there okay. that Jesus is the only way and you have to surrender your life and if that's your confession, you're going to be in trouble and that's why people hate the Christian gospel because uh, there is no other way. But... This is what uh, God has called us to confess. We confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the only way to God. Only in His name there is forgiveness of sins. There is no other way. and this is our confession. We are seeing the portrait of Lord Jesus Christ uh, from the book, uh, from the beginning of uh, Luke's uh, Gospel. And uh, Jesus is unlike any person in the history of mankind. No one ever uh, spoke and taught like him. No one ever did miracles like he did. No one ever raised the dead uh, like Jesus did. No one ever calmed the sea as uh, he did. No one one ever healed the sick like uh, he did. And no human provided uh, bread to the people in the wilderness uh, just like the way he did. He is unlike any other person in the history of mankind. And Jesus is a historical person. No respectable scholar of the antiquity would say Jesus never existed. Almost everyone would agree that he existed. The question is never about his existence, but the question is about his identity. Exactly who he is. And the question is about his claim. Who is Jesus? And this is the very reason Luke is writing this gospel. Luke has written this gospel, his gospel. He presents the facts from the life of Jesus and leaves his readers to, de- to decide who he is and what they plan to do with him. And finally, we are in that junction in the gospel of Luke where this question has to be answered by the disciples of Jesus. And this is the theme we are going to look at today. Who is Jesus and what it means to follow him? Who is Jesus and what it means to follow him? What it means to follow Jesus for us today? What we are going to see this uh, afternoon uh, from this passage is this. Confess Jesus with your mouths and lives for he has promised rewards for those who confess him publicly and judgment for those who are ashamed of him. Confess Jesus with your mouths and lives, for he has promised rewards for those who confess him publicly, and judgment for those who are ashamed of him. Two ways uh, this passage uh, shows us to confess Jesus. First way, confess him with your mouths. It's very simple confess him with your mouths. Second way this passage shows us to confess Jesus is to confess Jesus with our lives. Confess Jesus with your mouths and confess Jesus with your lives. Confess Jesus with our mouths. Now in uh, verse uh, 18, it reads like this, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and Uh, He asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? The first thing which uh, you will notice in verse 19 is the prayer life of Jesus. Luke shows us that Jesus was praying when he was alone. When he was alone, he was praying. And this is not the first time Luke has drawn our attention to the prayer life of Jesus. We have seen Jesus praying at his baptism, then in the wilderness, in chapter 5, verse 16, after he cleansed the leper. He often sought uh, time for personal time with God, and then before he chose the twelve to be his apostles. Jesus prayed often, and especially before every milestone of his ministry, before every milestone he prayed. The work which he came to do was entrusted to him by his heavenly Father, and he communed with his Father at every step. Likewise, we are, of, we are, we are, uh, we are called to pray often. We as people of God, we are uh, called to pray often. Often we fall into great temptation and sin because we don't uh, pray. I had a, uh, a professor in seminary, and uh, he said, before every major purchase, he and his wife prayed. Before every major purchase which uh, they have made throughout their life, both of them had always prayed, and because of that, they were never in any debt. No debt, no unnecessary tension. They never fell into unnecessary temptation. Even when they had temptation, they prayed. And God rescued them from many troubles. Jesus prayed often. And as the people of God, we are called to pray often because often we go through conflicting thoughts and opinions, especially when approaching crucial life decisions. And impulsive, impulsive decisions without prayer and godly counsel often lead people into all kinds of traps. For a believer, prayer is like an oil in, a, in our car engine. We don't put oil in our car engine. What will happen? It will break down. You'll be stranded somewhere. And that's not fun. Perhaps uh, here, Jesus might have been praying for his disciples here. They were with him all this time and they were well acquainted with him. But it is not enough to be acquainted with Jesus. They should know who he is and believe in him. Luke shows us that they joined Jesus while he was praying and he asked them saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? What we are seeing in verse 19 is the prevailing opinion of the people. Almost everyone has heard about Jesus, but they all had different opinions about him. For some, he is John the Baptist. John preached a message of repentance and baptized people. Jesus preached a message of repentance too. And John chapter 3, verse 26 and chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 shows us that Jesus and his disciples too baptized. So for some, Jesus is John the Baptist, that is their opinion. For others, he is Elijah. Jews very well knew the last book of the Old Testament and the prophecy concerning Elijah. And for some, Jesus was the coming Elijah. And for others, he was perhaps one of the prophets who rose again from the dead. But one thing you will notice here, that uh, nobody said that perhaps he could be the Messiah. Nobody said that he could be the Messiah. They could have said he could have been Elijah. Maybe he could be John, one of the prophets, or maybe he's the Messiah. But nobody said that. For them, there was nothing regal in him. There was nothing royal in him, in his appearance and the way uh, you know, he did his ministry. Their idea of Messiah was uh, one who will overthrow the Roman government and establish that Davidic uh, monarchy, somebody who is uh, a political leader. But Jesus has not done anything like that. But opinions of the people aside, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I think this is the, one of the most important questions that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you think I am? People have all kinds of opinions about him, but Jesus cares more about his disciples and what they think about him. And even today, people of the world have all kinds of opinions about Jesus. When you talk to people about Jesus, some say he is a prophet. Some say uh, he's a teacher. He's a moral teacher. Uh, there, there are many things we can learn from Jesus. There are... Uh, he 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 spoke many things and there uh, there are good things uh, which he did for some uh, he was a uh, for some he was a kind of political leader who fought for the rights of the poor and rejected people in the society but who is jesus to you today and that's what it matters and uh, who is jesus to you today And are you willing to surrender your life to him? And that is the question, which is one of the most important questions. And this is what knowing Jesus means. That means you're willing to give your life to him and live your life his way, not your way, his way. Peter, as he is with all his impulsive uh, nature and falls uh, he has uh, many falls uh, he peter uh, is the first one who speaks up uh, here and says the christ of god in other words peter is saying that jesus is the messiah of god who was to come into this world peter understood Christ is not the last name as we have the last name signifying who our earthly father is and in some sense the family or tribe. But Christ is a title of honor, Greek equivalent of Messiah in Hebrew, the one who who has been chosen by God and consecrated for the sacred office. And in this case, the ultimate Davidic king who will rule the nations and whose kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. But I think here, the prayer of Jesus has been answered. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17, that it was the Father who revealed this to Peter. Peter confessed, but it was the Father in heaven who revealed this to Peter. And Jesus was praying. We saw Jesus was praying. Peter confessed that Jesus to be the Christ of God, but it was the Father in heaven who revealed this to him. In John chapter 6, Jesus says that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him near to Jesus. Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ because it was revealed to him by the Father in heaven. And this was a big confession by Peter. When many others could not see who Jesus was exactly, Peter, as a representative of the twelve, spoke and confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. But at the same time, we don't know how much he and other disciples understood what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. He confessed, but we don't know how much they understood the implication of their confession. I think most likely their idea of Christ meant someone, as everyone else thought, that uh, someone who would overthrow the Roman government and establish the Davidic monarchy. That's why when Jesus went to the cross, everyone abandoned him. They left him and ran, and ran away from him. And even after he rose again from the dead, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 shows us that they asked Jesus if he would restore the kingdom to Israel. So they always, always had this political focus they recognize that he is a messianic king and they thought that they are just going to reign with him within their lifetime the society is going to be a welfare society and that they are going to rule and reign with Jesus and Jesus is going to provide them with all kinds of goodies and many people have this idea in our day that life is life with Jesus is all about success prosperity and uh, freedom from sickness Jesus will give them whatever they wish for. You know, uh, if you ask them, uh, you know, about Jesus, like, my God just want me to be happy, and this is Jesus I believe in. This is the kind of God I believe in. My Jesus just wants me to be happy. And this is how many people think even today. But Luke shows us here in uh, verses, especially 21 and uh, 22, that, uh, that the Christ which we confess, the Christ we confess, uh, is a Christ who suffered on the cross for his people. Luke shows us that a Christian life is a life to the cross. There is suffering for those who want to follow Jesus. Jesus first shows to his disciples that he must suffer. If they want to confess him, they have to confess Him as a crucified Savior, which is shameful to many. In verse 21, Jesus says, uh, Luke shows us that, And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus is showing here that he must suffer. And if they want to confess him, they have to confess him as a crucified savior. First, he strictly warns them and commands them to tell this to no one. Jesus told them to tell no one. And scholars sometimes uh, doubt or wonder why did Jesus kept this secret. They call this as the great messianic, Secret. Why would Jesus command his disciples to tell no one if he was the Messiah who was to come? On the contrary, you know, he should have proclaimed it freely that I am the Messiah. I think the only satisfactory explanation is that people would have prevented him from going to the cross. They would have prevented him from going to the cross. They would have prevented him from dying for his people. He had to die for the sins of the people as the atoning sacrifice. If his disciples would have proclaimed him to be the Messiah, the people would have tried to make him a king then and there. The death of the Messiah would have been unthinkable for them. Matthew 16 shows us that after Jesus said that he will be killed and be raised the third day, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "'Far it be, far it be from you, Lord,' This shall not happen to you. And Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is saying here to the disciples that you have to confess a crucified Messiah. I know it is shameful to you. I know it is embarrassing to you, but this is what it is you have to confess a crucified Messiah. Yes, it is a shame, an offense to many, but this is what it is. First, I suffer many things, rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. Suffering must come first. Then comes the resurrection and victory. And this is the beauty of what we confess, We do not merely confess a crucified Savior, but also a resurrected Savior. Jesus also speaks about and be raised the third day. There is no gospel if we merely proclaim his death, but not the resurrection. We confess a Savior who died for our sins and rose again for our justification. His resurrection was his vindication. We confess that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And this is what we confess and this is what we are called to confess. You might have been grown up in a Christian family. You might have been going to church week after week. But you have to confess with your mouth That you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Apostle Paul shows us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You cannot say that I'm a secret Christian. I'm a secret Christian. I believe in Lord Jesus Christ and I believe in his word, but I want to just remain a secret Christian. Scripture shows us that we have to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess Jesus with your mouths. Confess him publicly you can't be a secret Christian. But now in verses 23 to 27, confess Jesus with your lives. Confess Jesus with your lives. Now in a certain sense, it is easy to confess Jesus with our mouths. And in certain settings, in certain places, it is easy to confess Jesus with our mouths. Especially in a Christianized Western culture and Western nations, it is easy to say that you are a Christian. It is easy to say that Jesus died for our sins. It is easy to come to church uh, week after week and discuss theology. But living a daily Christian life is much more difficult. In verse 23 to 27, Jesus is showing his disciples what it means to confess him with their mouths. They are not merely to confess him with their mouths, but they are to confess him with their lives too. And that means dying daily to yourself. That means Daily dying to yourselves. Jesus says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. A disciple is not above his master. And Jesus told his disciples that he will be rejected and killed. He will suffer for the sins of his people. Now, Jesus is preparing his disciples that his disciples will face the same opposition as he faced. And they should be ready to face it. First, he sets the expectation right for his disciples. Most likely, his disciples were thinking about ruling and reigning with uh, Christ within their lifetime. But Jesus says here that anyone desires to come after me Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. First, he is talking about dying to the old man and putting on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus says that he needs to take up his cross daily and follow me. This is more radical than just denying yourself from saying no to sin. This is suffering the reproach of Christ on a daily basis. Tomorrow, your boss may ask you to wave the LGBT flag in your workplace and you say no to it because you are a Christian. Or tomorrow your boss may call you to, uh, to come go for a picnic on a Lord's Day and you say no to it because I want to worship my God. I want to go to church on a, a Sunday. There is a good chance that uh, you will be retaliated against and you may be denied the next promotion saying that uh, you do not uh, get along well with people or you are just disrespectful to the management. You work in a medical facility and uh, recently they started to abort the children. And you refuse to be on board saying life is sacred. That's what the Bible teaches. And you cannot agree to the destruction of life in the womb. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer consequences. You may lose your job. You're a student in school or college where everyone speaks in a filthy language and you refuse to be part of that uh, group, there is a good chance uh, that uh, you will be singled out and you would walk alone and you may not have many friends because you associate yourself with Christ. You associate yourself with Jesus. Taking up your cross means suffering for Christ and often following Christ will hurt you. It's going to hurt you. You may lose opportunities and friends, but this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. They must be ready to die for him daily, on a daily basis. This is how you die for him. You say no to your sin and you are willing to suffer reproach for the sake of Christ. This is what following Christ means. Following Christ means that you are willing to suffer for him, even if suffering comes your way, no matter what the cost is. And at times, the cost which you will have to pay may be very high. Moses in the Old Testament was willing to let go of the pleasures and comfort of Egypt for the reproach of Christ. The writer to the Hebrews, he uses the phrase, reproach of Christ, In Hebrew chapter 11 verses 24 to 26 shows us that shows us by faith Moses when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward. Moses was ready to let go of all the fleeting pleasures of sin for the reproach of Christ. There are places in the world where it is uh, difficult uh, for single uh, Christian men and women to find uh, spouses because they are Christian. And hence, some choose to remain single for uh, for the rest of their life rather than unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It is not easy. It is painful. It hurts, but this is what it means to take up your cross daily for the sake of Christ. You may lose opportunities and advantages in life. What Jesus calls you to to do sounds (coughs) counterintuitive. It may not sound very wise according to the standards of this world, but this is what he calls you to do. Just think about this. When reproaches come your way on account of Christ and you compromise, what advantage is that to you? Jesus says in verse 24, Who, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You may have temporary benefits, but you will lose eternal life. You will lose eternal benefits. If you regularly miss Sunday worship week after week, month after month, you don't come to church, there's a good chance that eventually you would uh, backslide. Eventually you'll become cold towards the Lord and uh, fall away. It's better if, if if that's what's happening with you week after week for months and months, better you change that job rather than you backslide. If you unequally yoke yourself with an unbeliever, he or she may may turn you away from the living God, as Solomon's many wives turned him away. In trying to save your life in this world, you would lose it. And Jesus says, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You may gain everything in this world, but destroy your own soul. The cross of Christ brings rejection in this world. But Jesus says that if you are ashamed of Christ and his words, then Jesus says he will be ashamed of you when he will come in his own glory and and in his fathers and of the holy angels. You may gain the whole world but will lose your own soul. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is not asking something very strange from us. He is not asking anything strange. He is not like a king who, push- who pushes his soldiers uh, to die as martyrs, but he himself never suffers. Jesus himself has shown us that suffering is the way. Suffering comes first, then exaltation. He gladly went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And he calls his disciples to do the same. And in verse 27, he uh, shows uh, to his disciples, uh, he tells them that there are some who are standing here who will have a glimpse of his coming kingdom even in this world before they die. This is Christ talking about the coming judgment on Second Temple Judaism in AD 70. He came in judgment on those who rejected him when the Roman army ransacked Jerusalem. This was a token of what was to come in the future and to comfort his disciples as they go through many fiery trials in his name. Jesus went through the cross before his exaltation, and this is the same calling which the people of Christ, we as believers, have in this world. In this life, there is suffering There is rejection. But this is his calling to us. This is what he calls us to do. He calls us to suffer for his name. We are to confess him with our mouths and also with our lives. And often it is going to hurt us. But remember that Jesus suffered, died, and rose again on the third day. His resurrection was his vindication. If you suffer now for Christ, you will reign with him for all eternity. You will reign with him for all eternity. And you will be rewarded when he comes with his holy angels on the clouds of heaven. You will be rewarded. May the Lord give you strength as we pray, as we ask God to help us, as we continue to witness to a fallen world. Our oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we truly praise you and bless you and we honor you. We thank you for sending uh, Jesus into this world. And Lord, what a Savior we worship and what a Savior we praise. Who was willing uh, to lay down his life for us? Who was willing to suffer rejection for us he was uh, spat upon and uh, he hung on that cross uh, for us and uh, in his name we have salvation. And Lord uh, we also see from this passage uh, that uh, life in this world uh, uh, it's not going to be easy for us it's going to be difficult and sometimes it's going to hurt us. But at, the, but at the same time, uh, Jesus has promised to be with us till the till the end of this world, and He has promised to give us more grace. Oh Lord, we pray that uh, as we uh, carry uh, the burden of Christ in our own lives, as we witness uh, Jesus to people, and uh, as we are, as we are rejected in this world, Lord, we pray that. Uh, You would continue to pour more grace into our lives and we would be bold to confess Jesus, not only with our mouths, but also with our lives. And we will be willing to lay our lives down for him. We pray for your help. We ask this prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you were blessed by this sermon, we invite you to visit us at abqreformed.org where you'll find more information about our ministry. We look forward to you joining us again online or in person. Until then, may peace, comfort, and grace be given to you through our Lord Jesus Christ.